Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome to episode number 34 of the KDH podcast. Today, we're joined by Andy Smith. How are you doing, mate? I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. I'm hyped up for this. We've just been having a wee bit of a conversation about it before. We actually started going off on one, and I was like, we'll save this for the podcast. So, Already? <laughs> yeah, I know. So um, why I got Andy on today was um, my knowledge of, and I was just talking to him honestly about it as well, I usually have a, a bit more of an in-depth knowledge to my guests and my knowledge of you, mate, is that you kind of headed up the campaign for keeping gyms open in Scotland through various um, forms of, obviously we're speaking about there, connecting with members of Scottish Parliament. And I seen you were kind of leading the front within the sort of social media front in regards to people sharing video content, educating people to why they're essential. Um, is that a, a good enough explanation to what you were doing and the movement throughout this pretty much yeah it's um i don't really know like the first video which is the one that you saw which was professionally done by um aaron of street author media went way way bigger than i expected it to and that was when we were looking at gyms in scotland being opened nine weeks behind the english counterparts yeah um and then yeah there was a lot of traction off the back of that video got a few discussions interviews and then meetings with politicians and then we kind of got moved forward uh, a couple of weeks earlier than we were due to um, it wasn't entirely down to that video there was obviously other thought processes in there but um people who work in nicholas sturgeon's office got in touch with me and were like yeah they're heavily aware of the video going around and they weren't kind of expecting the backlash that it got and then latterly with the petitions and stuff um the heat maps of signatures from Scotland show how important this issue is to the the kind of health and fitness and leisure community across across Scotland. Because it's not just gyms, you know, it's it's all indoor sports, indoor leisure, swimming, swimming pools, gymnastics, like all these kind of things, squash, badminton, netball, you know, all, all these things hugely important. Yeah, I know. And uh, sorry, a notification just came up and I was like, do not shut down my computer. Um, yeah, um, the, do you know, I started, um, that's a wee bit off topic there. Um, obviously, a lot of things like you were saying, it's not just gyms. And I think people need to know that as well. And I started properly swimming, training for an Ironman this year, well, last year. And I was like, and when the, the pool shut, I was gutted because my training has been obviously impacted. And I was like, wow. How much have the swimming community been bashed throughout this? They got open so late. And, you know, going to that pool and seeing so many people that that was their, that was their thing, that was their outlet. And they've not even, it's all well saying go outside and swim, but we live in Scotland, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you can't, like, it's not, it's not. All the, all the reservoirs and have been frozen over completely. I know. Yeah, I actually went, I went. <laughs> I went to go for us. I went to go. I, I, I'm partial to a wee sea dip just going in. And I actually went to go to Booker's Pond, which is near me in Ayrshire. And I went, I'll go in. I put in my stories and I was walking on it. It was frozen solid. So I was like, I'm not going in there. But um, yeah, like, man, like, I don't think people like, there's so many things that have been paralyzed because of it. And it's it's a shame. And, and like, it, I think it goes to show as well, Andy, like the power of social media, like you put that video up and it got the, do you know what I mean? Like they were discussing it in parliament. Like that's, that just shows someone like how powerful a tool, like you speaking your mind and vocalizing it and what it can do. So that's it. That's exactly, as I said, that's how I found out about you and how I started following you. But yeah. Um, so before we kind of go down the um, rabbit holes that is 
obviously uh, the gym's been opened, uh, politics and all that stuff. Um, again, um, one of the things I want to say on this podcast is we're not politicians and it's genuinely just obviously speaking about, um, we're giving their opinion. We're talking about the movement that's happening and stuff as well. And everyone's entitled to an opinion, but it's, I've, I've had a few podcasts where I've spoke about mental health and I just kind of want to clarify that point. This is all opinion. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not like, it's, there's a lot of factual evidence behind it. And there's a lot, I'm sure that Andy will be backing up a lot of it with that as well. But at the same time, it is genuinely just opinion and everyone's entitled to one. So that's why I wanted to say that before we get started. So to know who we're dealing with a wee bit more as well, if anyone that's not actually, um, doesn't follow Andy that as well, what's your story and what are you doing now, mate, to give us a bit of an insight? Because I'm interested to hear this as well. Um, I'll give you a brief version because I am 30 now. So there's quite a lot of stories so yeah. far. Um, but the the key key kind of points, I've always played sport, loads of different sports, played a couple to a very high level. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to travel around the world playing the sports that I do. Um, then education-wise, undergrad, first-class honours from the University of Central Lancashire in sports therapy. And I actually, I'm really proud of this, but I got an award from the exam board for outstanding achievement. Oh, well done, mate. Um, I'm a total nerd. Um, yeah. And then went up, came up to Edinburgh, which is where I am now. To do my master's degree in strength and conditioning uh finished that turned down a phd scholarship quite simply because there wasn't enough money in it um and then started off personal training at virgin active then from there moved to open up a private training studio that went really well had a couple of trainers also training people out of there paying me rent etc and then from there opened up lift uh, which is now twelve thousand square foot gym uh, just outside edinburgh city center it's in gorgie if anyone knows it and just prior to this second lockdown, we'd got to 950 members. It was going wow. absolutely awesome. And then, yeah, obviously lockdown again. So all the conversations with the politicians and things, they've, uh, they've all restarted. And then Lyft itself has given me a lot of opportunities as well. So we've got quite close ties with Edinburgh Rugby, with Scottish Rugby, including giving them advice on some equipment that they've now got in their performance center and then the consultancy where I was headhunted by Gymshark to design their lifting club. Wow. Um, so it's, it's been a roller coaster ride. Um, and I wouldn't change any of it to be Good honest. Mate. No. And do you know what mate? And, and I know it will have done. Like, it's going to give you, it's going to give you, um, good press as well, all this. And I hope that like, it's going to be good for your gym and it's going to be good for, getting your name out there more as well. You're doing a good thing. We're obviously doing this movement and leading it. But do you know what I mean? It pays all, it pays dividends as well, man. It's gonna it's gonna be a good thing for you. And hopefully it has been so far as well, mate. And hopefully it's not you've not been in a bad position with your obviously your your gym and your business. Hopefully it's been a good thing for you as well, mate. Um so what see your your connection with Gymshark? What's that then? Um so we basically they came up to view our gym. Um, didn't say anything about what that was for or why why they were coming. Um, but at that point, they were out to tender for a project. And one of the companies they were speaking to was one of the companies that we used to do some of our kit at Lyft. So they said, do you want to come up and see, see this gym that we helped do? Um, you can speak to the owner. And then basically they came up, gave them a tour around the facility um, went full full potato on the tour, every single little detail that went through my head in the planning process. And then at the end of it, they basically said, um, do you want to come and work for us on a project? We can't tell you what it is, but if you're interested, 
um, let's take your number and then we'll have a conversation. So they flew me down to Gymshark HQ, uh, made me sign a big fat NDA so I couldn't talk about anything. And then basically said, we're designing what we want to be the world's most amazing staff gym. We'd like you to be a part of that. And then it kind of evolved over the following 10 months. Um, and then I basically designed the whole place in, in conjunction with Paul Richardson, the COO, who's the project lead, and then sourced the equipment right down to all the fine little details, oversaw the staff training, the health and safety side of things, and then oversaw the first few weeks of the place from install, final install, through to the first couple of weeks of opening where wow. I was living down in Birmingham and working there. And then luckily, Paul wasn't that fed up of me, so I'm still close, close with him to this day. And having someone like that, the COO of Gymshark in my phone book to call and speak to and pick his brains is the amount that I learned through that experience as a professional is honestly invaluable um, and it's given me so much inspiration for how I want things I want to do with my staff moving forward and how I want my gym and the other projects I'm involved with to be kind of seen in the, the areas that they are they are in because obviously Gymshark's reputation is second to none. Yeah, I just watched a video today that um, it was put up and it was like the from it opening up, like having a vision in 2012. And it's actually incredible. Like it's actually, it makes you like buzz watching it, like what they actually have done. It's it's incredible. Like, and I think one of the things that you were saying there to take away from that, like invaluable, like see like uh, rubbing off other like-minded people that are in a situation, like see the importance of surrounding yourself with, like-minded people it's just it, it it doesn't do anything bad for you it only does good things for you and i think more people need to do that i've just i was on the phone at my pal there having a phone call for about 40 minutes and we're chatting about all sorts of things we're having up your philosophical conversation just about like the, the sort of herd mentality and i was just saying like how important it is to like connect with other like-minded coaches other like-minded people friends because it just lifts you up so much and i think all the stuff that you've said there to lead you to the position that you're in now it's just been through learning off other people. You know what I mean? It's a lot of people look at them product and they would look at someone like you and go, oh, I wish I was like Andy. I wish I had that. And you'd be like, yeah, but Andy's done a lot. <laughs> I'd be like, trust me, you don't. <laughs> it's <laughs> terrible, right? <laughs> <laughs> Having a gym that can't often. But um, yeah, like a lot of people are always focusing on someone else's end product and they don't see all the work that goes into it. And it's nice to hear that, mate, like you're sort of your journey in that as well. One other thing I kind of wanted to... Uh, touch on before we go into the sort of talking about the gyms and, and why they are essential that's the name of the podcast by the way i never even named that i never even said that at the beginning it's because why are gyms essential and uh basically one of the things i wanted to touch base on because i love it as well it's like how long have you been doing the full sort of hybrid athlete um, training and do you encourage more people to take this approach to training in life um so i started training in a gym when I was sort of 15, 16, and then started working in the gym when I was 16. And then I've always played team sports of some sort, whether that's football, rugby, cricket, the usual. And so I've always kind of been fit, done cardio and done weights. But then I think it probably would have been 2014, I became aware of Alex Viada in Complete Human Performance. I don't know if you know too much yeah he's an american guy yeah yeah so, I, yeah i know who he is he's crazy man he's yeah good so though. alex and alex and i are companies I, I i effectively out of the blue emailed alex asking if he wanted to invest in lyft um and it wasn't the right opportunity for him at the time 
but what he what he did was he basically forged a personal stroke professional relationship between our two companies where we got value out of them so running the chp courses for our staff for free um we got business trips out to amsterdam with them it kind of the relationships kind of fizzled out from the business side of things now that the gym's you know been wiped out with the pandemic and things like that but getting to be aware of alex understand more about how that style of training is formalized and then sort of wanting to take the envelope and just push it further and see what can be done and then obviously kind of crossfit started booming in popularity as well so you're getting more people now who are fit they're fast they're strong really really healthy and i think for most people a hybrid style of training but potentially not so structured but more structured than crossfit would get most people closer to most goals than the kind of traditional gym training styles that people seem to follow you get a lot of athletes weekend warriors who train like bodybuilders but then wonder why they're always getting injured always getting hurt especially common in rugby yeah so hybrid athletes have always been a thing i think what just labeled it yeah they've labeled it they branded it in the same way as crossfit and then it's also put the two total separate ends of the spectrum so ultra endurance like ultra marathons iron mans like you're doing and powerlifting and weightlifting together in the same envelope and in the same kind of time frames yeah. that's that's where they've kind of done it but yeah almost all of my clients even the heavyweight powerlifters do cardio but it's always it's always got to be tailored to what the ultimate end goal of the client is there's no use being one of these pts that's like oh I do, I do hybrid athlete training. So everybody's got to train exactly like me. Yeah. You, you've got to take elements of the right things for the, for the client, because that's the most important thing at the end of the day. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I encourage everyone to do it. I just, when I started training like years ago and it was like, you know I mean, a lot of people, when I started training gyms, my training was like self-taught and then like when I was going and then once, yeah. And then once I started learning more, and picking up and even to the point mate i was i was even more ignorant than that i was literally like just learning off of people in the gym and but then you it's like it, it's almost like someone i actually used this analogy the other week like people always think that there's a a proper right and a wrong way to do things in the gym there's just a there's just an optimal way to do things there's no like perfect route to go down and the thing that people need to remember when they're going to the gym is that the majority of people are self-taught so being self-taught in the gym is like expecting to go out into the roads. Imagine everyone was self-taught driving. There'd be a lot more accidents. There'd be a lot more issues with cars. People would not know how to get from A to B as quick, as efficiently. There'd be a lot more issues. And basically that's what the gym's like. And that's what I was like getting into training. But then like, um, I always loved just being fit. Like I loved being able to run. And then before I even knew what that hybrid was, I just liked being someone that was able to bosh out lots of pull-ups and, and squat heavy but still run a decent 5k time and then like as things evolved more and more i started to see it was like oh this has been this is called a thing now like this is this has now got a name and i I love it but i think a lot of people do like i kind of went off on a tangent there from what i was saying but yeah when i started training a lot of people were very much like fixed mindset like you lift weights you do a bro split you not really runners a runner and a lot of people are still in that mindset. A lot of runners are still in that mindset where they're like looking at you like you should involve resistance training, you run better, and they're looking at you like you've just asked them to become a bodybuilder. Do you know what I mean? Like you're, you're just saying... That's it. That's, it's the misconception. People think that lifting weights is a bro split. Yeah. But what they're not seeing yet is the trickle-down effect from elite athletes and 
that people like Mo Farah, for example, are phenomenally strong, but in the areas that's going to help them with their running. And yeah, definitely. It's not the resilience of that as well. The, the fact that people like Farah and Kipchoge can string together such long years in a row without injuries or significant injuries, and they can handle the mileages that they do at the intensities that they do because they're strong. Yeah, definitely. And like that's what people always think. I suppose it's like people are always doing things like, I'll go for a sports massage to fix this, or I'll go for I'll go and stretch off. And you're like, most like injuries can be afforded with adequate like strength uh, routines. Do you know what I mean? Like if you strengthen properly strengthen the body to move better, it will be structurally better to like people just don't get they think it's like all or nothing. It's like I think a lot of people are just like quite all or nothing with life. Do you know what I mean? Like like they think, oh, I'm not going to do that because that person does this or, and they do it all the time. And they don't realize that you can just take parts and get better at it all over. But um, Good on your analysis, that it's the classic thing. Like if you wanted to learn a language, you go to a language teacher or you go to a language app. If you want your car fixed, you go to the garage. If you break a bone, you go to the hospital. But for some reason, people always use that line. Oh, I'm going to get fit and then get a PT. Yeah, I know. No, no, no. Do it the other way around. Get fit with a PT and then stop your PT and carry on being fit with all the lessons that you've learned. I know. It's, it's how the at, field is looked at. I get quite a lot of people that um, I served with in the forces and that, and not a lot, but I've had a lot in the past. And people maybe in England and that that I know that will reach out to me for some advice and help. And I'm just a book, I'm a boot camp coach and a one to one coach. And I realized, like, I tried to do the thing where I'm, I do a bit of online, I do a bit of this. And you just realize you're only one person. You, ha- you have to just focus on what you do. And that's what I do. And people reach out to me and they go, oh, like, could you help me here? And I'll just go, look, are, are, you, are you willing to invest in coaching? Like, because you were willing to invest in me. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, go and get a coach. Go and, go and get an online coach or a one-to-one coach that's good. Don't just go for any. Don't go for the lowest tier, the lowest budget. Go and find someone. If you're willing to invest for two months, go and invest for two months because you will learn and scale up so much. And people just, they don't, and, and I, I just honestly tell people, I'm like, go and get a coach. It doesn't need to be me. If you've got someone near you that's really, really good, go and find them because they will accelerate you like nothing else. And people can't see that. They just, and it's, I think it's like, you put it in perspective when you say it like, what I said with that car analogy there, no one would try and like some people might, they, there will be some people that try and teach themselves. Do you know what I mean? It'll take them a bit longer. They'll have worse habits, but the majority of people go for driving lessons because they know the DVLA has a standard and then they yeah. pass it and then they learn to drive. And it's, you don't learn to drive till you've actually started driving. Do you know what I mean? But like people always do that with like training. They go, ah, yeah, exactly. As you said, I'll wait until I get fitter and you're like, what are you waiting on? Are you waiting on like someone to give you a blue Peter badge and go, well done. You've, you've, you've reached it. You've reached stage one. It's now time for stage. Yeah, it was, it was class. Um, yeah. Um, so, um, can I, I wanted to touch base on those points, Andy, because I was interested in seeing your bio. I seen from a few posts on, obviously, as I said, I don't know your background or anything, mate. And I obviously wanted to kind of ask these questions myself and I knew that it would deliver value to the listener as well, because, I think like a lot more people need to just, we don't have, we've got an issue with nowadays, we, we over-label everything, do you know what I mean? But um, it's oh, good God. to keep going out for a walk. Just, just call it going out for a walk. It's I know, easy. steps. Just go for a walk. <laughs> Get the steps in. dog out the hills, you don't have to call it active recovery. Just I know. <laughs> I know, everyone's got a name for everything. Um, so yeah, um, so obviously I started following you over lockdown one. 
Um, what progress was made with your actions after that initial video and what did you take away from the full situation and process itself? Um, the video definitely kind of accelerated a few messages and the press coverage that came alongside it. Uh, and I think it kind of, oh, this is going to sound so cringy and this is not, I just can't think of a better, better way to say it, but it kind of showed one constant train of thought that people could actually say yeah that's why gyms should get reopened rather than there's about six or seven different petitions floating about and there was loads of people saying oh it's about this aspect it's about this and then people saying oh gyms are safe and people saying oh why are pubs open but it's trying to pull all the salient points together into one coherently well a rant basically yeah (laughs) to get that in front of the right the right people yeah Um, and then from that it's basically just been maintaining connections with politicians, maintaining connections with press so that were the situation to change as it unfortunately had, that we had that there ready to kind of kickstart again. And I need, I do need to give a shout out to one of my good friends, Ellen Amalo, who's been super helpful this time around in, she's a lot more organized than me. Um, and she's been brilliant at like pulling people into meetings, getting contacts. Um, and she's a, she's a very corporate professional person. And that comes across in how easily she's able to formulate things to get meetings booked in and to get in front of people that we hadn't got in front of before. Yeah, I think that's what you've said there, mate. You depicted it perfectly. The message got out there because people, someone might, people might be annoyed at me saying this, but some people just make statements like, gyms need to be open, mental health. And I'm like, that's not helping anyone. Do you know what I mean? Like just saying, gyms need to be open, mental, because mental health, you're like, what? They're like two, like, what do you mean? Like there's, there's so many things. And, and in that video, you were talking about statistics, implications, long-term effects. Why? Like, do you know what I mean? Like the gym is like, obviously you were talking about like the, the long-standing effect of obesity and what that's actually doing to obviously the UK, what pressure that puts on the, um, obviously the, the NHS. And I think one of the things I spoke about in my stories the other day sorry i'm interrupting here mate and it was i just kind of wanted to get just having a chat yeah and uh one of the points that i was saying is there's an elephant in the room when it comes to vulnerability see when someone gets diabetes they're classed as vulnerable if you're type one type two diabetes and a lot of people becoming type two uh, diabetic is due to your lifestyle and it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over an extended time uh, period of time. And med- uh, med- um, uh, medical practitioners refer to that as pre-diabetic when someone is basically on the route to becoming diabetic. So that's when someone's unfit. They could be overweight. They could be leading a really poor lifestyle, nutrition. And that's what leads to them becoming uh, diabetic. They're pre-diabetic. Just because someone's labeled as diabetic, is that when the transition happens to them becoming vulnerable? Or is it through the entirety of them being pre-diabetic what i'm trying to get at is yes someone may get diagnosed as diabetic when they're in their 40s due to a poor lifestyle but on the lead up to that it's 20 years of abuse that probably led to them becoming diabetic so therefore they're vulnerable throughout the entire stage of that process see 15 years in 10 years in five years in they're vulnerable they're unfit they're putting their body in a way that's given them a medical condition that then becomes classed. What I'm trying to get at is too many people aren't saying what vulnerable is. Like vulnerable is when you're in, and obviously tying in with the gyms like that, gym is obviously a small part of this. 
puzzle we were talking like it's it's you could argue some people might only go to the gym two hours a week but what that does for someone is turn so many more cogs in, in their life they start to make better choices with nutrition they surround themselves with other people that improve their way of life they make them make better decisions it's, it's not just the oh it's because they get to go to metafit twice a week that's that that's the thing that's that's what's that's what's stopping mental health it's 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 the bigger picture things and i think what you said in that video really depicted that well um do you kind of agree with what i'm saying there mate what's your thoughts on that yeah there's, there's two there's two kind of really good points that you've made there the the last one was it's the ripple effect so yes there's a there's a lot of correlation between to the point where it's almost almost gospel now um a lot of research has gone into the links between obesity and both in infection chances with COVID and then severity of outcomes with COVID and obesity. And that ripple effect of, like you say, someone going to the gym, maybe two or three classes a week, it does have an impact on all these other facets of their life. And this is where some people have an issue with BMI, which is, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to loop this back. It sounds like a mad tangent, but you get a lot of people that are like, Oh, I'm, you know, I play rugby, but I've got a BMI that says I'm obese, like BMI is a load of tosh, but it's not. All BMI simply is, is a risk indicator and how much strain your heart and cardiovascular system is under because of your body weight. Now, people who could be classed as overweight or obese and they're gym goers, like myself, I'm overweight on the BMI scale. Yeah. But there are other factors in my life so that level of risk of me being 83 kilos as I am today and around about 15% body fat, the risks are a lot less than if I was 83 kilos and 35% body fat. So yes, it doesn't take body composition into account. And yes, it should only be a tool. But as an indicator that can be applied in a quick and dirty way to an entire subset population, it is very, very, very useful. And that ripple effect that people who have a more active lifestyle play sport do this do that all these other things they generally will make slightly better nutrition choices yes they generally will pay a little bit more attention to sleep and lifestyle factors but a lot of that has been taken away so people's coping mechanisms these ripples are kind of drawing back in and there was a study released today now 40 percent of people are exercising less and watching more tv than lockdown one because you look out the window it's what seven minutes past six in the evening and it's pitch black and it's yeah. been pitch black since five o'clock. So there's a lot of factors now that people are able to use to their benefit in lockdown one that have been flipped. So now there's a lot of negative consequences that weren't seen before. And then the other point that you made that I think is really interesting is just the our gyms need to be open because of mental health, the lack of statistics, the lack of compelling evidence behind it and the vulnerability so have you seen much around vitamin D and coronavirus outcomes? Yeah. So I was talking, Brett Contreras was actually talking about that. And he was talking about how one of the things was more exposure, direct sunlight, vitamin D supplementation can actually, he, he got COVID and he was saying about it, it was one of the ways that he could make him not make himself better, but make himself less ill less at risk of obviously doing further damage, whatever. I'm, again, I'm not well-versed in that, but he did say about the implications of vitamin D. Yeah, so where it gets really, really interesting, now this is all correlation, okay? So it's not it's not 
proven beyond doubt, but there are strong, strong correlations between vitamin D deficiency, which is the key thing here. Now, Brett, living where he does, probably gets a lot more sunshine. And interestingly, the Scottish government recommend that everyone in the population at this point of the year should be taking a vitamin D supplementation. But you don't see anything about that. So you're already looking at a population that's vitamin D deficient. And the tie-in between COVID-19, both chances of catching, and like I said earlier, severity of outcome in vitamin D deficient populations, and then the way, as Brett talked about, that those outcomes can be lessened in terms of their impact through uh, mega dosing of vitamin D. And then the Scottish government ran a scheme during lockdown one, where if you were clinically vulnerable, i.e. shielding, you could apply to get vitamin D from the government for free. Where was the, the coverage of that? Where was the wider push out in a supplement that is very, very cheap to get hold of? And you're looking at a country that has chronic vitamin D deficiency in the population anyway. Yeah. And where it gets super interesting is if you look at the COVID heat map, the areas that have been affected worst are the areas that map the strongest with vitamin D deficiency across Scotland. So the West Coast and Aberdeen and the communities that have been hit hardest are the communities that map, that have the greatest correlation with vitamin D deficiency in Scotland, i.e. black and minority ethnic communities. So there's a lot of correlation there. And yes, it's not proven. However, there is a good chance that taking vitamin D to get yourself where you have sufficient levels could have a significant impact on your likelihood of contracting COVID. And if you did contract it, how severe those symptoms were. Why is our health minister not talking about this? There's a lot of things that haven't been spoken about. And like I said, that research isn't entirely conclusive, but it's such a cheap thing and it's so difficult to fuck yourself up with yeah. this. Why would we not be recommending it? Yeah, I know. And it's, no. it's as, as you said, like it's, but I think that's the, like when I was in the forces, like the, the political way of thinking and the government way of thinking is usually short and fast or not usually thinking. And I know it's people will argue with this and they'll say we are, and there will be a lot of people that are that, that are thinking this way, but they're not looking a year in front sometimes. It's sometimes they're only looking two feet in front. And like that, but that's a, a lot of the research, a lot of the research around vitamin D is taken, it's conducted on people who are in hospital with COVID in a vulnerable population. They're being mega dosed and you're getting up to sort of 60 to 90% reduction in symptoms so these are people that should by rights be dead from the virus have the highest chance of dying and they're surviving now you you obviously can't control for all the other factors that are going on what treatment are they on what anti-inflammatories are they getting blah 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 blah. Yeah. but there is such an overwhelming body of research out there to support that vitamin d supplementation could do something very positive and the fact that it's so cheap and easily available and scotland is to use your phrase when you look at vitamin D deficiency, Scotland is a vulnerable society. Yeah. We have a chronic long-standing problem. The fact that our government recommends that we supplement it from September through to April. Yeah. So we, that is a massive vulnerability that the population could solve very, very simply. Yeah, no but one is. People, people don't. And that, you know, there's, there's lots of things out there in terms of vulnerability, physical health, mental health, et cetera, et cetera, that society is starting to talk about more. But at the same time, we're also starting to become more politically correct. So talking about some of these things like obesity, for example, will put people's backs up. 
And despite yeah. the fact that you could be presenting something from a purely statistical and science-driven standpoint with a desire to only help people, people will still throw around the words fact-shaming. But it's not. What I've, what I've found out is, and this is just through content creation in my own end, is the more that something resonates with people and the more that it highlights the truth and the more it also a lot of people will be able to resonate with it, but there will also be a lot of people who will just instinctively disagree. And it's just the way that people are. And it's, I think it's just, that's the thing that we're doing. Do you know what? Like I'm, we're sitting talking about obviously these decisions and that right now. I'm not saying like the, there's, there's been a lot of decisions that I don't agree with like throughout the entirety. It's a hard job and they've never been through a pandemic. But again, what we're saying right now is there's writing on the wall with certain things and you're just like, what's going on? Why, why is there like, one of the things I was amazed with, like, and it was it was David Hatt that spoke about this in his social media, and I'll give him complete credibility for this. Why don't they take a team of the top coaches, top nutritionists in the UK, and get them together and tell and get them to basically come up with a mass coaching plan for the UK to optimize their lifestyles, to get them in a better place so they put themselves less at risk? And it just seems to be like there's no actual real advice that like the like I sit and preach on and most PTs do about your non-negotiables and having a plan and, and how to set yourself up to win. Why aren't the government doing that? Why aren't they coming out and talking? Why aren't they getting the people? It's just, it just, it just seems like such a simple thing to do, but it's, it's just not happening. It's just, I don't know. Like, it's just one of those things. And, I, and I'm, I'm not going to turn this into a, a podcast of why aren't the government doing this? Why aren't they doing that? The, the point of the podcast was to basically challenge people's thought process and get them thinking. Just as that video got me thinking, mate, that's what the point of this podcast was today. It's not a case of the government should have done this and they should have done that. There's obviously, we're just talking about things that should be taken in. And, and as we've said already, the powerful thing of social media, audio. It's pointing out, it's pointing out where the logic breaks down. You're in yeah. the middle of a health crisis and you have environments that can drastically help people's physical and mental health. And those institutions are being closed and penalized while other institutions remain open. And yeah. I fully understand the social aspect of pubs and restaurants, etc. But when people throw at you the argument, oh, you can just train at home or you can go for a run. Well, okay, you can go and sit in the park and drink in the park. Yeah. You know, totally, it's, yeah. It's, it's the easiest thing to counter, but the, it's the, the, the indoor leisure industry is one of the industries that has consistently extremely low rates of virus transmission being traced back to it and it's one of the sectors that's put in highest levels of mitigation but then like everything you know there's certain gyms that just haven't done it and there's certain gyms that have yeah. been open this whole time and just gone against the rules and things so as, as an industry that's one of the things that i'm trying to help uk active with and become more credible become more of an actual industry that has standards organizations that people adhere to without impacting people's businesses negatively. But yeah. it, you, you raised an interesting point about your content and whether people agree with it or disagree with it, but it provokes that emotional response. And I feel like we've lost a lot of our ability to debate and discuss with people. So I've, I had a few, well, there were a few trolls on the stuff that I've been putting out who you just don't bother engaging with but there's people who put quite aggressive comments but the comment has some good elements in it and i'll always try and engage with them privately because people are much more likely to discuss in a sensible manner with you privately than they are publicly because i'll learn stuff from those people 
and I want my perceptions to be challenged. I know that I have an emotion, huge emotional attachment to this yeah. situation as a gym owner in the middle of Scotland, but I need to be challenged on my beliefs. And that's the only way that I will grow and develop as a person. And that's the main thing that I'm wanting to get out of this whole situation is into debate and discussion with the government to see how I can help them, help the industry, help other coaches to improve our services so we can be viewed in future if there were more lockdowns as an essential service that is safe enough because the benefits of keeping us open outweigh the negatives of closing us down. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I think that's like you're doing doing the right thing. You're, You're doing everything that you need to do to climb the ladder in the right direction. And as we actually spoke about before this podcast, like one of the this is a bit of a, a moan and a gripe for me, and I'm not tarnishing all politicians, but I was saying that Nicola and Boris Johnson are—they're not, they're not. I wouldn't say they're friends. I wouldn't like. Do you know what I mean? They're, I wouldn't say they're the, the closest of friends. They obviously have different views. I think, like personally, what you were just saying there—an emotional attachment. I think that one of the reasons why it maybe has been put on the back burner. There's probably loads of different reasons. I'm probably right, wrong, really wrong here, but they don't—they don't exercise out of love for exercising. And I think that they don't have the emotional attachment that the, what you're doing right now and forging this position to be the voice for the, the Scottish fitness industry, it needs to be done because I know there'll be loads of politicians that train. I'm not saying there isn't, but the, the two people that are the head of, I know there's obviously Wales and Northern Ireland as well, but Scotland and England and obviously Westminster and then Scottish gov- the Scottish government, the two governments that we adhere to, like the two heads of those governments don't exercise so they don't have that emotional attachment that me and you have as coaches that we know that you can really battle it like what we were talking about long term yeah someone goes to two hours of training a week but it's what it does we, we know that the long-term effect of how that's going to make someone less vulnerable do you know what I mean because of the decisions they'll make in their life and because they're in the top and I know that they'll have loads of advisors but at the same time they don't have that emotional attachment there I can guarantee you right now if Nicola Sturgeon went to CrossFit, the gyms would, would have been open long before they probably were. I can guarantee, like, if, if Nicola Sturgeon was a member at a CrossFit gym, it would have been different. And, like, you can you can say it wouldn't have been. It, it would have been. It would have been because that emotional attachment would have been there and they would have understood it. But because they're not there, it's, it's like me. Of, Sorry, mate. Just to back up that point, that all the publicity stunts. So we were engaged with the UK Active behind the scenes, um, and either Nicola Sturgeon or Gregor Smith, the deputy CMO, were supposed to come to lift. So the um, client services director at UK Active was actually on his way from London to Edinburgh to be at the visit where they came to our site, and they just cancelled it last minute. But then she's been at different. She's been at bars. She's been at restaurants. She's been in pubs. She's there's all these different areas that she's been. She's been tweeting Brewdog. There's lots of different things that have been done for publicity and for PR, and rightly so. It's also point, important to point out that the funding that's been given to other sectors, I don't begrudge them that, but it's been given from a place where it's seen as an opportunity. It's seen as something that's important to the fabric of Scottish society in a way that the fitness industry isn't. And like I said, that's the main thing out of this. I'm not doing this because I see an opportunity to get five minutes of fame or anything like that. Like, yeah, sure. The, the way my Instagram following has grown, it's been nice. It's probably going to help me and it's probably going to yeah. help my business. Yeah. I'm doing this because of how much passion I have for this industry and for the wider leisure 
sector and for even wider than that the health of scotland because it's in a bad place as a nation yeah we are really sick yeah and it's not going to get any better without yeah, i know and it's it's literally like do you know what i mean like they talk about we talk about that swiss cheese model and I totally get it. See when people were doing things like, oh, what's the point of doing? Like, why why are you changing the curfews to 12 p.m.? Like, why are you doing this? They're essentially trying to cover the holes. They're trying to cover the bigger holes. But closing a gym, you could argue that that's closing a, like a, a, a smaller hole. Like, it's, it's I'm getting confused with what I'm saying here. You could argue that they're maybe looking at it the other way where they think by closing a gym is actually reducing... But with the statistics, with the obviously talking about like it's showing the rate of spread there, you could argue that it's allowing, by closing it, it's allowing for bigger holes to actually be generated. Well, that, you know, so there was a really interesting legal case in Spain where the Catalonian government, local government, uh, wanted to close gyms and they, the executive order was put out. But then that was challenged by the, a collective of the Catalonian gyms and like leisure activities. And it was taken to the Supreme Court of Spain, which is run differently to Scotland. But obviously myself and UK Active had a big interest in this. And the Supreme Court at that time found that where, with where the pandemic was in Spain, closing the gyms would have a bigger financial and economic impact and have such a negative impact on the population that used the gym's health that it actually made more sense. And it was ordered that the gyms would stay open provided they adhered to a very strict set of rules to help mitigate the known risks of the gym environment. There's never been anything like that in Scotland. There's never been engagement with the sector in such a way to do that. And that's, that's really what we want out of this. We want the opportunity to prove that, look, we can open. And if you allow us to stay open and stay trading, that reduces the funding that the sector needs. We we'll still need support, but it reduces that rather than closing us off entirely. Yeah, and it also really helps keep that population healthy and becoming healthier. And if you encourage more people to attend gyms, sports clubs, outdoor leisure, join team sports, things like this, then you would improve the general wider health of the population. So your Swiss cheese analogy is exactly right. By trying to cover a small hole they're actually creating a bigger hole elsewhere yeah that both short term and long term yeah that's you, you've you summed it up better than i could have said that i messed it up i hope people understood it when i said it yeah no you're, I, you're I absolutely yeah no you're absolutely right you're actually you're by thinking that you're solving a problem you're actually creating further problems and again we don't know what the statistics are off this yet it's early days right now um, we don't know, but obviously there'll be a lot of stats to show that you were talking about there. People less likely. What was the stats off of um, people who were exercising in the first lockdown? Was you saying 40%? 40%, 40 now exercising less. And I always think about I always think about percentages, right? And I always think about it, and people might not think anything of that. Imagine you had a 1,000 people in a hall. That's literally 400 people aren't doing it like that's that's the the scale of that and it really really makes you understand them i always put like things into a larger scale i always think of it as people in a room and i always think of it like and that's that's so many people how many people that is impacting and i wasn't trying to act there as if i was dead good at maths by the way as if i was like coming on <laughs> imagine i cocked that up but um yeah so thousand um, people 40 percent what's that like 100 yeah. <laughs> 
I used to be so good at maths when I was at school and I'm literally like, so I have to like pause and think about things. Um, you just so You just count in 20s, 10s and 5s now. It's yeah, I know. Yeah, I just, I just count in plates. Um, plates and plates and pace and miles. And uh, yeah, so like, what, why do you think gyms are essential and how do you think they lie in beating this? Obviously, we kind of touch base there. Like, what's your main sort of like, why do you think they should be open? Um. I think it can be summed up into a couple of factors. So firstly, short term, the benefits of going to a gym are very, very, very simple. You become healthier. Even if you go and you do a poor plan, it's so easy to see progress and it's so measurable that you will become healthy by doing a bad plan, but going at it with 100% intensity or even 80% intensity versus just sitting and doing nothing and it's also then the gap if you go to the gym your worst case scenario by that you don't get injured but not many people do but your worst case scenario is that you'll just stay as fit as you are but if you don't go to the gym you will become less fit yeah i.e., you will become more vulnerable so it's not just allowing people to get fitter it's stopping your healthiest portion of the population becoming less healthy and more vulnerable then there's the community aspect of it and this is a point that people threw about quite a lot with pubs and eating out and going to see friends for a lot of people that go to the gym that's their social time that's yeah. their kind of community you spoke about crossfit already and a, a model that does it brilliantly and uh, there's a lot of kind of group training studios as well and group training gyms like kfit here in edinburgh brilliant community alongside that now, they're able to keep that going during lockdown, but it's nowhere near as effective as being in, in person with your friends and with your body. So there's the, the social aspect, the improved health, the lack of reduced health by keeping gyms open. And then there's the wider community benefits. So this doesn't apply to every gym, but taking Lyft as an example, because there's plenty of facilities that have community links like this. We work with a lot of local sports teams um, so we've got work with three different rugby clubs. Uh, we work with a girls football team that's like they're under 15s through to their under 18s. Um, we work with a couple of local schools, all these local partnerships that we have, we're feeding back into the community and it becomes a proper community hub. And in an age where things like youth clubs, they're not really that much of a thing anymore, but lots of younger people are getting into the gym. So you're encouraging positive habits in younger generations and you're encouraging more active generation and that's how you long-term impact the, the the health of the country um and then yeah long term you look at like you said spoken about already diabetes uh, and then obesity being the second largest cause of cancer both of which are things that have had their treatments cancelled at different points throughout this throughout this pandemic yeah so the, the, the knock-on effect of that uh, is also huge so you're effectively by keeping the gyms closed you're increasing the chances of various different things happening but generally short term and long term you are going to negatively impact in a significant way the physical and mental health of a nation you know, and, and that's see, why i believe they're essential no i, I totally agree and, and one of the things that you mentioned previously as well was like other countries like spain adopting and when they done that study was if they made the conditions harder on the gym, like for what they had to adhere to, as in like they made it stricter 
that's fine. But they, you know what I mean? It's like one of these things where how can like a vape shop be open even for like, like it can have restrictions on it. A vape shop, do you know what I mean? Like how how is that but a gym? Do you know what I mean? Like you could argue that I'm, a, I'm addicted to training. Like, do you know what I mean? Like you could argue that that's my... It, there's so many different things that you, you, you don't. And, and one of the things as well, like a lot of people... And it's not like I'm backing up like the government here on this, but like a lot of people make statements where they go, how's this open and how's this? See, we've never been through a pandemic. We've never like in this generation, we've never had experienced a pandemic. So the decisions to like make these different tiers are constantly being ironed out. Do you know what I mean? They, they are, like, it will, but hopefully with the movements you're making, mate, speaking to the government, when we do see a full tier system go back in, it will be reevaluated and fingers crossed in a better position than what it previously was in to allow us more flexibility to keep gyms open and leisure facilities. Yeah. I do. I do take a bit of um, umbrage with the word essential as much as it is the word that's being used, because that's where people's frustration lies when you walk down the street and you can, so this, this is genuinely, this is what you can do in Edinburgh at the moment right now, you could walk along or you could jump on the bus to Prince's street go get some American candy. That's what actually stores now shop. You could walk into an off license and grab a bottle of vodka. You could then walk into McDonald's and, or you could order Uber Eats and get a McDonald's delivered to you that you're having with your bottle of wine. And then you could get some desserts delivered because takeaways off licenses are essential. And you can then either vape or smoke your fags that you got from the corner shop because that's also an essential thing for going out. So that the way that word essential is whether the way it's meant is the way that it's being used. Yeah. Because, you know, for example, like there were a lot of people that got kind of irritated that in the first lockdown, Primark was classed as essential. I kind of agreed with that because if you're a new parent, yeah, your child is just growing, growing, growing nonstop and you've, you've not got much of a budget because you've been furloughed. Primark for baby clothes could be an absolute lifesaver. But that would be someone using it for an essential purpose. But then you've got the people that are literally just going to go shopping because that's what they can do. Socks. So <laughs> meaning and purpose. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that's where the waters get muddied. Yeah. Um, that sounds like a class day in Edinburgh, mate. I might go to Edinburgh and do that. Honestly, it's like banging. <laughs> Except, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say the government line here. Don't come to Edinburgh because that is going outside of your health board area. Yeah yeah no. <laughs> no man but it is like it's it's one of those like throughout as well like even at the beginning like people were saying things like at the beginning when we didn't know much about the virus and things were starting to open back up they're like how can mcdonald's drive through be open i was like because it's a drive through you know what i mean like at the end of the day it's the business it's it, it can still operate it's got drive through but when they started opening things like pubs before gyms, I was like, what the fuck? How's that, how's that going about? I remember I went to the pub before the gym was open. I went to a beer garden and literally as soon as more and more bevy went down people's throats, the rules just started to go out the window. Like it was like, and pubs will say that they, they've done it and they can't control people. Like it just literally, like people just start going, I don't care about this. Like you can literally like have five well, pints. Look, of- how, look how many people get arrested and break the law on a yeah. night when there's no restrictions in place. Yeah. And you're telling me that you can control a drunken population. No chance. No. no. I went, I remember I went to a pub and I went, I don't think I'm going to do that again, man. That was wild. <laughs> it was like yeah, just was. past 11 o'clock. It was like, things were just normal again. <laughs> It's the, well, it's the discrepancy between industries again. So pubs and things are open before gyms, but so gyms up here 
were kept closed for five weeks longer than their English counterparts. But if you're a gym in Glasgow, you'll have only been trading by the time we come out of this full lockdown, assuming it's mid to late March, you'll have been trading 10 weeks out of 52. It's mean, why not? Like, I, like the, the two rounds of grants from the government and that's it. I know. It's um, Chris and Stevie, though, in the gym that uh, I work at, like, I just feel nothing but, like, it's so hard. Like, do you know what I mean? Yourself, mate, like, it's you, you're just paralysed. And, and like I know that you can you can train at home, you can dish out equipment, but you're, you're like, why would imagine like like they they literally opened their gym as this happened? Like they literally they didn't get the doors open, they waited months, got it open, more restrictions put in place. And I'm not trying to play a small violin for the gym. I'm just saying it's when you put it into a perspective like that, it's it's not good. So like it's 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 really really not good. But um, so what like to kind of like um finish things off here, mate, like. What what is being vulnerable to you, and how do you think someone could decrease their chances of being vulnerable? I mean, that's such a big question. Yeah, um, I'll stick I'll stick to my areas. So, number one, um, be active. Be as active as you can to your current fitness level. Yeah. So if you've never done anything before then just getting out and walking and hitting like five, 6,000 steps a day is a great start. And then look to slowly build on that. So then look at potentially putting some bodyweight exercises in at home. So be as active as your current level allows and look to slowly build on that. At a time like this in the pandemic, be incredibly aware of your own feelings and your own mental health. So there's loads of stuff out there, but I'm not going to try and tell people that they should get up at 4am and shove a green tea up their ass before journaling for five hours like oh, just, yeah do what makes you feel good with that overall goal of improving your situation so that doesn't mean eat takeaways because it makes you feel good it means resist that and eat something make your own pizza from home instead little changes like that yeah that will add up over time and try and use this lockdown as a way to set sustainable small good habits that you can take forward when we get out of lockdown and then be aware of your your surroundings so i think people's surroundings make them really susceptible to bad habits creeping in it's very easy right now to be sat on the sofa at 10 o'clock know you're furloughed so you don't have to get up at six or whatever for work so the next episode on netflix comes on it's now it's the five second countdown instead of 20 seconds like it used to be so little things like that try and maintain habits that you'll need when lockdown is lifted and then be aware of the things that you can do that require little to no effort, like taking vitamin D, that could have a significant impact on your overall health status. So and yeah, I, the usual stuff. Yeah, no, it's a good good response. And it is, it's like it's a question that could be asked to a doctor, and they'd probably be able to give a very medically, um, what do you call it, determined answer as well. But I think one of the key things to get at that, what Andy was kind of talking about there as well, is that looking out for your own mental health and and like a lot of people, like I was reading this in James Smith's book today. It was a really, really good point. And it was talking about motivation and it was saying basically that it's not about doing things that make you motivated. It's about removing things that make you unmotivated because you don't need motivation to drive what you do. You really need to avoid doing the things. So as you said there, like if your job is usually what keeps you in queue for a normal bedtime, then remember that, be aware of that. 
if you don't usually, if you only drink at the weekend, don't start drinking during the week, you're only going to put yourself in a worse mental state. And I think one of the things with being vulnerable in this thing, we've also seen a massive increase in mental health issues and suicides, which is obviously terrible. And I'm not going to say I'm not an expert in that field at all in that, but you need to just make sure you're looking out for yourself as much as you possibly can to not put yourself into a vulnerable situation. Because I think that's one of the biggest things about this. Everyone had their lives. And for, and I'm not speaking for everyone here, but for people maybe like uh, me and you, Andrew, that have got um, good ha- habits, but we're, uh, we're in a good position. We are not I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not even speaking for you here, mate, but we're probably in a better position to know how to work around things. Like I'll just go in, if I didn't have any equipment, I would still be doing bodyweight workouts in my living room. Like, like just religiously, that's what I would do. But for other people, they don't have the habits in place or knowledge to maybe just arm themselves to do that. So by doing little actions, like maybe going, I'm not doing a lot right now. I usually rely on my work to get my activity up. I should probably go out a walk right now. So just kind of ask yourself like what you are doing with your lifestyle and, and have a bit of, um, I'm, add, I'm adding to this, by the way, like I just kind of came in and responded to what you were saying and then adding to it. I think, I think, you've, I think you've summed it up perfectly. And it's just ha- having, str- like one of the things actually, I'm just pure listing books here. I read this in Tyson Fury's book, like, he was talking about his journey with bad mental health and he's still battling against it. And one of the things that he said was training, exercise, and having a sense of purpose are the two key things that led to him being uh, really taking, regaining control of his own mental health. Having a sense of purpose, like, see, when you don't have a sense of purpose, it's a dangerous place. Like, it's a. Well, it's most people's job is their sense of purpose it's their that's that it, yeah it's your identity it's who you are and for a lot of people the gym is their sense of purpose their identity um do you know i mean a lot of personal trainers that have felt paralyzed and I, I, in the past i've probably been more arrogant and i should be saying that like you're a coach like you should be able to like obviously get yourself through this and i and i'm not going to say i was wrong not say i'm not just when you're a coach pick yourself up and get through it but what i'm saying is like you should obviously have the tools to try and to get through that as much as you can. But yeah, you just need, you need to have a sense of purpose and identity because it's a, when you start removing all these environments that you rely on being your identity, your purpose, you can get yourself into a, a scary place. So yeah. Um, obviously kind of recapping on those points there, make sure that you're looking out for you first. I think that's what the, the biggest point to take away for that. Like yeah, prioritize if you yourself. Out, if you could come out of lockdown and not be in a worse position than you went in, you've done really, really well yeah. because you've just by not getting into any worse routine, you've mitigated a lot of the, the vulnerabilities that could creep in. And you've only done yourself favors for the future as well. Um, because you've put yourself, you, you know, like chances are, I don't know what the statistics are for us dealing with another pandemic, but like, you're like, you're, you're going to come up against a lot of things in life and be in a much better place as well. So although it may not be a gym, it may not be obviously the way you may usually like it. If you can come out of this, being more consciously active than before or being more uh, uh, conscious of your nutrition, then you're in a much better place. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're m- more aware of your, your more mental health, that's something that I used to never do. I never used to just prioritize time to myself and I do it every day now. And I think more people need to do that. Just put a wee bit more time aside for themselves because it's something that we're, all, we're always consuming. We're always on our phones. We're always doing so much stuff. And I think it's important to do that. Um, but a wee bit your go-to relaxation thing when you're when you're having your me time what is it that you do read i read um and i I spoke to a lot of my clients about this i always ask them to rate like what they do 
and they go, oh, I didn't really get much time to themselves. And like, well, you don't need to overdefine time to yourself as meditation, sitting without your phone. It can be whatever you want. Like the gym can be your time to yourself. If you go to a gym and you don't speak to anyone and have your headphones in, that's time to yourself. Like you're, you're, you're thinking about, there's no doubt that if you set 10 minutes aside to meditate, you probably won't think of much different things to what you would if you were out a run by yourself. You'll think about the same things. You know what I mean? Just because it's classed as meditation or um, that's it. What's yours, Andy? I'll be, like you said, I'm quite lucky. My life really hasn't changed that much from pre-pandemic because I still have everything to do with running the gym. Obviously, campaigning as hard as I can for the industry as a whole. I'm in the middle of launching an app um, and I've got to get my dog out for his exercise. And I'm very lucky in that I own a gym, so I can still train there. So my life hasn't actually changed that much. And for me, training is my alone time. There's genuinely nothing I enjoy more than that feeling of total disconnect when I'm in the swimming pool. Yeah. And obviously I can't do that right now. And the water's a little bit cold for outdoor swimming. Yeah, yeah. But when I'm out on a long run, when I'm out on a long bike ride, it's that same feeling of just being completely disconnected and it's just me and what's around me. Yeah. And that's that for me, that's my disconnect. That's my relax. Yeah. I know it's, it's such a, I remember at the beginning of the, the first lockdown when I'm not saying, I spoke about this in a previous podcast. I'm not saying things aren't as bad as what they were, but we didn't know anything about the virus at that point. And it was very scary to the point where it was like, you were like, what the fuck is this? And I remember when I trained, I was doing live workouts. And when my uh, clients came on, I wasn't thinking about anything else. I wasn't worried about my business. I wasn't worried about what was going to happen in the future, my health, my family's health. I was just switching off. And I think that alone is a, a big one. And a lot of people, as I said, they aren't armed with the tools to go out and action workouts themselves. So the gym might be where they done that. So again, a, a very good point to, to kind of finish on there as well. So um, lastly, mate, what's uh, do, do you want to add anything to that? Sorry, Andy. I just kind of skipped I, it. I think I think you've actually you've summed it up really really well. I think. Um, yeah. Um, just that awareness of self is so key. Yeah, it's a key thing to do, and I think it's very easy when you've just got Netflix, mobile phone, boozing. You can forget to just look out for yourself. You can you just forget. It's fucking four weeks have went by, and you're like, I've watched ten series on Netflix, and I've literally like I'm I've now like got a. Um, what's it called? I've got a commission card for tenants. Um, like... <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I fell into that trap with Money Heist. I know I'm really late to the party, but Aye, God, like, I was staying up till like midnight watching that for like, three days in a row. Yeah. Focal will that, man. Focal will like, Focal that, midnight. That's fucking early. <laughs> oh, man. I'm such a granddad. Honestly, most nights I'm like yawning and wanting to be in bed by like half nine, 10 o'clock. Yeah, that's a sign of a well-accomplished day as well. Um, I always base that on if I'm wide awake at like midnight, I'm like, I've not done enough today. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so um, lastly, mate, like, what's what's for you in the future then? What's the plans right now? Just continue campaigning, hopefully get your gym open. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, continue the campaigning. Um, keep going with the progress that we're making. Then... Um, Business-wise, throughout the rest of this year, just really solidify the gym. So we were, we'd only been trading for 18 months when the first lockdown hit. So we're still a very, very new business. So solidify that before we start thinking about expansion. Um, and then the app that I'm running at the moment, launching at the moment, just keep pushing that out. It's gathering great momentum. Um, and then, yeah, just continue looking to improve myself through my training, 
through my online coaching stuff, keep improving the standards of that, that I'm delivering to clients and just progress. So it's, it's always the same with me, always the same. Always. Whatever I'm doing, complete it if it's within range of completion. If not, keep following the steps that will take it towards completion. Good. That's a good ethos to, for everyone to follow as well. We just fall in love with the process and keep getting better at it, get better at whatever you can. Um, no, um, thank you very much for coming on, mate. Um, I've really, really enjoyed the chat today. Um, I, a lot of good points there. And the, as I said already, the point of this podcast wasn't to come on and bitch about Nicola Sturgeon not training. It was a wee bit. But um, it was like, it, it was to, to, to put across a lot of valid points and challenge people's thought process. Because I think throughout this, one of the points we said there is people making statements and it, you could argue that the mental health gyms is on when people make statements that like with no backing is on the same, you could, you could argue that they're on the same trajectory that we want, but at the same time, they're probably not doing any favors, just people shouting statements. Do you know what I mean? It's like someone saying to a depressed person, smile, be happy. Do you know what I mean? It's not actually doing anything. Whereas if people are a wee bit more better armed with why, then maybe they'll take more cares when they're in the gym maybe that the gyms that aren't following the rules will adhere to it better because the, the staff, the members will highlight it more. It's to make people more, more aware and make them a bit more knowledgeable into why gyms are essential. So hopefully it's done that. And uh, I'd just like to say thank you very much for coming on. And if you have enjoyed the podcast, make sure you screenshot it and tag both me and Andy and your story as well on Instagram or Facebook because it gets the message out there more. And I'm sure a lot of people will tune in with the headline of that and then when they see who's tagged in it as well. So thank you very much for coming on, Andy. Thanks, man. Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it.